Hey there, Kendall here. Thanks for joining us on the All People's Equipping Podcast. This is one of our most favorite seasons in the life of our church. It is the Commission Conference season, and the Commission Conference is the time where we get together and just reflect on how God desires to use us to disciple the nations and extend His kingdom into the world. God always connects us with amazing speakers that are being used powerfully across the world at our Commission Conference, and this year was no exception. We actually got to hear from Ralph Moore, who is part of our church here in San Diego, but one of the original leaders and the founder actually of the Hope Chapel movement that arose during the Jesus movement in the 1970s and impacted many, many nations, planting over 2,000 churches. I think you're going to be very blessed to hear from Ralph Moore and hear his story of how God used him to expand the kingdom through the local church and even how God has been redefining what that could look like in our generation. Buckle your seatbelts as we prepare for this session's recording with Ralph Moore. So, I'm really happy to be here. I'm really happy to be a part of All People's Church. Um, moved here five years ago after 35 years in Hawaii. Uh, we had, uh, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. I'll tell you about that in a little bit. Uh, it rains there. And, um, and, and, you know, thought L.A. was heaven when I got there. And then we, Lord called us to Hawaii and, and it was a weird experience. We started illegally in a beach park. Nobody would rent us anything. Those kind of things happened. And, and then when it came time to retire, we wanted to go right back to LA. My wife was born there. And by the way, I'd like for her to stand up. You can just see how cute she is. I, I said, stand up. My, my wife is airily deprived, and, and both of us are chronologically superior to all of you, because we're the oldest people in the room. But um, we, we thought, you know, if we go back to LA, we're gonna try to be kids all over again. And you know, I had been there on a trip, a teaching trip, and we're in Seal Beach, and I'm going, that's where I taught my kid to surf, and you, know, and you start doing all that, and we got, no, we don't do that. So we moved here, and. And uh, one of, a kid who grew up in our house is the pastor of Aloha Church in, um, in um, um, Mission Bay High School. And so we were there for a while, and then the pandemic hit, and then I was doing a webinar with some guy. Uh, I, I work with a group called Exponential, and I was doing this webinar, and, and, um, and, and, and I met one of the pastors from the, every nation, and... and um, my wife is crying while this thing's going on because she's kind of reliving <clears throat> the stuff that we had gone through about five, six years into our ministry. And so after that was over, I, I started looking on the internet to see if there, there was a, a, a church here and I found you guys. And we were in the desert on vacation, so we had to just, you know, scope you out online. And then I had to go someplace and so we didn't go to church the next week. But she was watching online, stalking Robert. And um, so um, I, I, I get back and I, I get a, um, on a Monday, I get an email from this guy that I don't know, named Joe. He goes, I understand you live in San Diego and uh, I'd like to get together for coffee and talk about some of the stuff that you do on the internet. And I go, well, I got to go away again in two weeks and I'm writing a book for somebody and I can't do that. And so he writes right back and says, I am the uh, 
deal with church planting at, at All People's Church. So I wrote him back, well, we're going to go there Sunday. And so we ended up going to coffee that day and have become really good friends. And the next day, I get an email from a guy who I've been, I've never met, but I've been coaching him for about three months um, named Billy House. And he goes, I can't believe this. That's my church. And so Billy is in my Hawaii right now uh, trying to spark things because there were two main drivers of church planting in Hawaii, both individuals and congregations, and, 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 and both have left. And, and nobody's picked up the baton. And so um, I'm just so happy to be here. I think it's a God thing. Uh, we really feel led by the Lord to be part of this church. And, and so we're, we're really thrilled. I want to talk a, a, a little bit, and it'll sound a little techy when I talk about this, but, you know, we have some very large churches in America, and thank God for them. Uh, and so nothing I'm going to say here today should be misconstrued as, oh, I don't like that. But I do like small churches an awful lot because they're what permeates culture. And, you know, if it wasn't for the big churches, we wouldn't have things like a version Bible. And how, how we got to where we are, though, some things got convoluted in the way. I grew up in a church that was a show. Uh, if somebody got saved in Hollywood, I remember there was an actor named Ty Harden. There was a TV show, Bronco Lane. I was so enthralled with Bronco Lane when I was a little kid. And he, he found Jesus. And three weeks later, he's giving his testimony in, in our church. And it's like, even as a kid, I'm thinking, yeah, I really, the guy's cool, but... He, what's he know about Jesus to tell us? He didn't know much of anything. Many years later, he ended up in Hope Chapel in Hermosa Beach as a drunk and uh, recovering. And, 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 and we abused that man by making a show out of him. And so we, we've come through a time in America. I, you know, I came up, like Robert said, in the Jesus movement and when we talk about revivals, I, I want to make a distinction between revival and revival. There was a spiritual transformation happening in the late 60s and early 70s in America. It was such a move of God that I saw junior high school girls with the four spiritual laws walk up to some guy outside of a bar, and the guy goes like, like as if she had a gun. And, 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 and we had scared little kids out street evangelizing, and you get some bad-looking bikers, and 15 minutes later, they've accepted Jesus. And, and you know what? Those of us that were pastors, leaders, young guys coming up, cool things are happening, we thought, yeah, it's a revival, but really, we're a lot smarter than those guys that came before us. And then one day, it was over. And so I know that there's a kind of revival that's what we all pray for. And it's just that breath of the Spirit, and nothing can stop it. But I saw a different revival in Hawaii, and that revival happened with just the release of lay people into ministry. And I don't even like the word lay people, you know. The, the words kleros, we get clergy. The word laos, we get laity. Both actually translate in the, from the Greek, people. So you guys are all lay people, and you guys are all clergy at the same time. And, and so am I, and so is Robert. And so, but when, when, when we see the, the, the people released into the everyday mission field, then that's when we are going to see revival. And when we see enough of that, then we're gonna be stuck having to plant churches. 
It doesn't work the other way around. You know, we, we kind of do this thing today where a big church invests. We're seeing numbers now. I work with a group that, that you know, coaches all these people. People are putting $500,000 into a church plant. And two years later, there's 60 people in the church. And the big church that had the money is going, I don't, we want, that was a failure. We, we don't want to do that again. Well, I think 60 people isn't a failure. But here's the problem is if you gave 60 people $500,000, they're never going to have $500,000 to give to the next one. So there's no multiplication factor. There's no leveraging of, of what we did. Am I making sense? So how do we get into this situation where we are? Because here's where we are. Is the pastor is a salesman. He's got to sell them salvation. And that distorts the message. One of the things that I've loved about all peoples is I see people being encouraged to pray to invite Jesus into their life every week. But I, what I don't hear are evangelistic sermons. Here's how to get saved over and over and over and over and over again. Because that's the way it is in a lot of churches in America. So the saints never grow because all they're hearing is how to get saved and already been there, done that. And so how, how did we get into this thing? Because here's what it's done. It's reduced the clergy laity to be inviters to church. And it's reduced the person who ought to be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to be selling the gospel. We've made a salesman out of the pastor. And one of the first things that I noticed when I came to this church is, you guys don't do that, and I'm thrilled about that. I love to be a part of a church like that. And so, as, as we went through this, the 60s, the early 70s, the whole Jesus movement, a lot of big churches just popped. I mean, uh, we were the little kids. If you see the movie, The Jesus Revolution, we're probably not in it. The big boys were Calvary Chapel, in the vineyard, actually the first vineyard got started in one of our living rooms. Um, and, in, and of the three surviving church movements from Southern California uh, was Hope Chapel. We were the smallest, now we're the largest over time because we just kept on planting churches. And, and that's just really, we're really good at one thing. You gotta really get this down because we're really, really good at this. And that is you put one foot in front of the other. And then you put the other foot in front of that one. And you just keep doing what God called you to do. It's not because you did it so well. It's because you just did it. So we moved from the Jesus movement to what was called the seeker-driven movement, where the idea is that there are people out there who have a, 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 a need for Jesus and they're sort of aware of it. Or they have a need for something spiritual and they're sort of aware of it. And and, and, and what that's kind of denigrated into, because there's about 70% of Americans say, I have no, no such need. So what we're doing is we're kind of playing musical chairs with the people who, who, who care and we're fighting for market share. Meanwhile, we're building some huge churches, but overall, our slice of the cultural pie is shrinking. The percentage of people worshiping Jesus in America is smaller than it was in the 1950s. It's scary. Well, how do we get there? Well, a really wonderful, godly man uh, took time. He was known as a, as a guru in the business world. I mean, you talk about Obi-Wan. Uh, Peter Drucker uh, wrote some of the most fantastic books I've ever read in my life. I have every one of his books. He was a Roman Catholic who believes in Jesus. He passed away a few years ago. And he, he mentored Rick Warren, who's a friend, a good friend, 
of, of all of the seeker-driven people, Rick was the most, the way that they ran the church, like all people's church. I, I was there one Sunday morning, and I've done this, so it was, it, I loved it. I just loved it. I watched Rick Warren get up and preach for over an hour and then realized about halfway through it that he had actually put together two expository sermons. And, and it's like you, you watch him trying to crawl out of that hole, and it's like, oh, I've done that one. But Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Church. And most of you sitting here have never read that, but most churches in America... Uh, many of them, younger pastors, aren't even aware of the book, but the culture that the book brought to the church came through that book. It was a wonderful book, and it served us very well for about 40 years. And, but a lot of what was in that book was driven by three questions that Peter Drucker asked. He actually asked five of a nonprofit organization, but the three questions were this. Who is your customer? What does your customer desire? And what's the best delivery system to get that to that customer? And so here's the answer. The customer is that person that's aware of spiritual need in their life and their family. What's the best delivery system? Well, we put together a lot of programs in our churches, and a lot of them are kind of in silos. We do these different things. Uh, Here's how to raise good kids. Here's how to manage your family finances. Uh, here's, here's how to, you know, and, and here's eight weeks for you to be a fully discipled Christian, which I don't think is going to do the job. And, um, and so the, the, the customer is this seeker. The thing the customer wants is a good life for themselves and for their kids. And the delivery system is a bunch of church programs. But let's just change that and make the customer God in heaven. The creator. So what does the customer desire? Well, to be reconciled with his creation that have turned their back, you know, Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned each one to our own way. It's, it's my own thing. That's what we used to say in the 70s. I'm just doing my thing. That's not my bag. Um, it, it, well, doing your thing, that's what is defined as sin. And the creator he wants reconciliation. Well, what's the best delivery system for that? Well, I, I think it's disciples making disciples. I read that someplace in the Bible. And so I want to just take you through a little bit of, of I'm going to tell some stories that will kind of uh, tell, you know, where I came from and how we got to where we are. Uh, there are about 2,600 churches we know of in the world. Many of them are overseas. Uh, it's harder to do it in America than it is overseas and, and, and nothing has been even like you know we start this church and they start two more they start two more and it's not like that every so often you run into a fanatic like Robert and, and then things go poof from there and most of them are one and done and so as, as we came up I grew up in church this big church I, I, it's the biggest church in Oregon the biggest church in my denomination I I uh, I memorized the Gospel of Matthew for a Bible quiz once. And so I clearly understood Matthew chapter 28. Uh, And you ought to read verse 17. We all read verse 18 to 20. Verse 17 says, The eleven assembled to meet with the resurrected Jesus, whom they had eaten breakfast with, whom they had put the finger in the hole in his side, that Jesus, and some doubted. 
So if you think that you don't quite qualify for the Great Commission, those bunch of losers <laughs> were given the whole wide world as their task. And so um, it's the, 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 the liberty of the church, the, 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 the permeation of culture that the church brings is, is when disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And you won't find a thing in scripture about planting churches. You'll find a lot about churches having been planted, but that there's no command to plant churches. We're, we're told to make disciples. Well, if we make disciples, you gotta organize them together. In Titus chapter one, Paul says, go in and pick up the pieces. You know, try to strengthen what remains. And how do you do that? Appoint elders in every city. So who are you appointing as elders? Well, people who've been saved maybe three weeks or six. And what do you do when you've appointed elders? Well, you've, you've organized a, a, a group of called out ones that we would call a church. And so I, I, I kind of came up with this. I, I'm, I am an introvert. I can get up in front of here and blab on for hours. But if I meet you out there in the hall, it's like, I don't know what to do. And so it, it just, um, I, as a kid, I grew up in this great big church, but in a denomination where there were three churches of over 1,000. There were about a half a dozen churches of over 200, and everything else was like 20, 30 people in church. And so when I said yes to Jesus that I would become a pastor, which I didn't want to do, I was on my way to become an architect and had scholarships and all that, and I finally said yes, I assumed I was going to live in eastern Oregon in a little town, and I was going to pump gas so I could afford to be a pastor on Sunday. That's what I told Jesus Yes, to. And so I was helping. I, I'd grown up in this big church, but my wife's youth pastor from uh, Southern California had come to where my parents lived and took over a church building that was like 80 years old. It had a parsonage. The roof had burned out of the parsonage. Nobody bothered to tear the building down. I show up. There's 25 people. Jerry is 25. I'm 18 or 19. And... Um, I was teaching, I had everybody from 12 years old to 36 in a Sunday school class. <clears throat> and I'm, this, I'm not making this up, this is real. And you're, you're all too young to remember the, the World War II uh, Army surplus stores that were across the land after the war. There's wires strung in the auditorium, we're in the auditorium, and there's these green ar wool army blankets with safety pins hung to the wires and right behind me teaching is somebody teaching the little kids. So you can imagine the noise that's going on in this crazy place. Well, that church ended up growing to about 9,000 people. And uh, they did a lot of really, really good things. The one thing they never did was plant churches. And so we got out of that building halfway through that freshman summer after college. And uh, I was digging weeds in the churchyard one day. And I'm trying to think. I don't expect I'll ever pastor more than 40, 50 people. My lifetime prayer is that in my life, 200 people would come to know Jesus because I had lived on this planet. And as I'm digging weeds in the, the yard of the new church building, I, I felt like I had a plan, a strategy. And I love the ocean and want to be a surfer all my life and all that. And so I wanted to, um, I'd, I'd start in a beach town and start a little church, and then I'd raise up some kid and send him to the Bible college, and when he came home after graduating, I'd hand off the church, 
and I'd go start another one. And then I'd do that again and again. I figured I could do that about five times in an adult lifetime. And so God had put a little weird seed in my heart. That's not whatever happened, that, but, the, but the seed was there. I go back to school, and, and some of us got in a fight with the school. There was a, a, a professor who had um, made bad remarks toward a young girl, sexual remarks. We went to administration. They did nothing. So now we don't like the guy at all. And then he gets up in, in class one day and says, under no circumstances should you ever ask anyone to leave a Christian church. Well, Paul gives you seven really good reasons in 1 Corinthians. And so now I know you really are a loser. And I grew up in a big church, and there's a bunch of loser churches around here in L.A. I'm going to show you. And so I'm going to, and it's just a childish 19-year-old thing to do. I'm going to go read the book of Acts every day, the whole thing, for my whole second year of college. And I made it about five times a week. And I got really confused. Because I'm going to show you how to do the Jerusalem thing. We're going to, I'm going to go out of here now. See, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the scared little kid anymore. I'm the cocky little punk. And we're going to go out here and we're going to build the biggest church and da-da-da-da-da-da. And then I got confused. Because the church in Jerusalem was a super success and then it turned into a failure. Because as you read through Acts, it, it, everything gets diffused. And it gets lost. And, and Paul goes to prison and you know, there's all that. And it's like, I just didn't get it. And then uh, about a year later, I stumbled into a book. It was my denomination again. There's a guy in the Philippines. Their, their, their deal was we'll go build a big church and we'll build a Bible college next to it. And then the Bible college people will go out and plant churches. <clears throat> well, they had people who had come to the Bible college, one young man, and he got about halfway through and his mother got sick. He had to go back to his home island. But he knew enough of Jesus that he starts bringing people to Christ and he's discipling them. And it wasn't the four spiritual laws and it wasn't the navigators, the stuff we were using. He was just taking them in the word very informally. Well, one of his disciples, and so very quickly, a, a church is born. The missionaries had the wisdom to go, that actually is a church and that is a pastor, instead of going, you didn't finish the course, you didn't get the diploma, you're a laity, you're not a clarity. And so then one of his disciples goes to another island for a job or something, and boom, the same thing happens over again, and the missionaries go, wow, this is good, and they just fan that fire. And I read that book, and it's like, oh, this is, this is really something, you know, I, I, can, I can run with this. And so um, later, later on, my wife and I <clears throat> took over this small church building and it, it, would, it was, uh, the auditorium would hold 66 people. So it wasn't as big as one of these sections in, in this room. <clears throat> and we heard uh, two weeks before we were to start, the guy who had put us into the ministry had also put a guy named Chuck Smith in the ministry. And so he introduced us to Chuck. And Chuck said, he had a building that would hold 200 people, uh, no, 350 people, and they had about 2,000 people coming. So they're doing multiple services. And in my background, the Holy Spirit can't bless one message twice, so you don't do multiple services. I grew up with that. And uh, so they're doing multiple services. They knocked a wall out. People are sitting outside in the ground. When he's preaching, people are sitting all around on, on the floor. They're up and down the aisles on the floor. 
And he's, he said, I, I just go through the Bible and I just kind of walk them through the scripture. And just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give a kind of a low level, like a Bible college education and make it fun for a lot of young kids. And boom, they were off to the races. Well, I thought, well, I could do that because we had this little tiny building and, you know, I'm Mr. Straight Arrow, got the suit and tie, hippie days, white wall haircut. And uh, in the first week, there's 12 people, including five in my family, my infant son, my brother-in-law and his buddy. And the next week, uh, we grew by 50%. And, uh, and, 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 and they were all hippies and bikers and a topless dancer named Kitten. And I'm trying to figure out what do you do. And one of those hippie guys is trying to open this door. And, and you got to get this. This guy is a contest surfing, leather jacket wearing, chopper riding dude. And, he, and he's over there trying to open this door and it won't open. So I'm over there in my little suit and tie trying to help him. And he hauls off and kicks the door and he gets a hole in it. And I went home and cried. God, I don't think I belong here. And now I'm trying to figure out what do I do? I'm a pastor. God's sending these people. I got to change to meet them rather than them change to meet me. I don't, I don't know what to do. And then the other thing is the monster called Go and Make Disciples of All Nations. That was a horrible weight on my shoulders. You know, it's really cyclical. Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Well, he did command love the Lord, love your neighbor, and then go and make disciples, teaching them, and it goes on and on and on if we're doing it right. But I, I, I was mentored by a man that some of you will laugh when I say his name because if you know him, his name, uh, know of him, his name is Robert Schuller, Crystal Cathedral. And he took me under his wing when I was like three or four weeks into the church. One thing he taught us was draw a radius 10-mile circle around your church location. Well, that was easy for us because we're in Manhattan Beach, California, so half the circle was the ocean. <laughs> but, but here's what was hard for us is to the north of us was all industrial aerospace. To the northeast of us was African-American community, which we never, ever effectively reached. We tried and tried. We, we, we had smart guys. We did whatever we could to plant churches, and they always failed. To the due east of us, they were all Hispanic people who spoke Spanish at home. And we did pretty good there. Except for my wife's uncle uh, started coming to our church, and, and I watched him. He loved us. He loved the Lord. He loved the church. And he always felt like a misfit among us white, beachy, surfer, dude kind of people. And so I, 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 I'm looking at this and starting to go put boundaries around what God's called me to do. If you went to the sort of southeast of us, it was Torrance, California. It was people who were a little different from us because they were all white, uh, but they weren't surfer dudes, you know? But if you went south-south of us was Palos Verdes, California, which is like the second Beverly Hills, and we didn't relate at all to those people. And so, but I, I begin to look at the, the second place you find the Great Commission, and that's Acts 1.8. Go from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Most churches can say, well, we're at the uttermost parts of the earth because we give money to missions. And we're pretty good at Jerusalem because we know how to reach people who look like us, talk like us, think like us, have a culture like ours. 
But then, then those people that are just a little different, the Judea and the Samaria, we mostly have not figured out our Judea and our Samaria. And so as time went on, we, we began to realize some things. One is that the, 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 the church, like this church, is an equipping center. My role is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. I remember when that was confusing to me. It's like, no, my business card says Ralph Moore Youth Minister. And then later on it said Ralph Moore Pastor, whatever it said. I'm the guy who does the ministry. And it, took, it was really confusing for me. It's, it's, it's so commonplace to understand this, but they begin to realize we're here to equip, Robert's here to equip all of us so we'll go out and do the work of the ministry. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're told to, to, to not neglect our, and fulfilling our calling and to do the work of an evangelist. Well, some of that requires that, that we got to figure out um, who, who we are. You know, God says to us in Ephesians chapter 2 that you're his special masterpiece, created unto good works that you should walk in them. It means you're unique. It means that your, your call is unique. Your personality is unique. Your culture is unique. Your DNA is unique. Your desires are, are, are unique. One of the things that really bothers me lately, I've got a few little hobby horses I like to ride, but one of the things that really bothers me is that I don't think we get the word ethne that appears in the Greek language in, in Matthew 28. It simply means people groups. It does nothing to, it, it, it would include the color of your skin. It would include where your parents grew up in another country. It would include language groups. You know, I was with some friends in, in Houston. They, they say there's over 300 languages now spoken at home in Houston. All these kids are forced to speak English at school. It certainly includes all that. But, but you know, we're, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they got a lot of tattoos on them. And, and I go, I bet you got most of those tattoos from the same place. Yeah, I did. We have tattoo parlors that are that, that they're, they're little people groups of people hanging out there. It's a pseudo church. One of my friends in Hawaii has um, invaded a bar. He was, he was one of our paid worship leaders in our church and policeman. His wife is an executive in the Board of Education, they came, tears in their eyes, you know, God's calling us, we're still part of this church, but we're not gonna tithe here anymore, and we probably won't be attending, but it's our church. And, you know, off and on, they've been back in it. They moved into Skid Row, into Chinatown. They, they rented a little storefront with their tithe money, and they started a little church in Chinatown, Skid Row. They got drug addicts for ushers. Uh, I, I mean, they're... They're, they're reaching the people where they are with the gospel. And you know what? You don't get saved and sanctified in the same five-minute period of time. And so we'll just take you as you are. And we'll work with you as you are. And so they did that for a while. They, they, they ended up moving to New Mexico where they worked with Native Americans for a while. And now they're back where we, there's, a, there's a bar called Rosie's Boathouse. And these people don't drink alcohol. But every Sunday night, they, they, the last time we talked, I haven't talked to them for about 18 months, but what their goal was, we're going to go sit and eat dinner in Rosie's Boathouse every Sunday night and make friends with the people who that is their extended household. 
And so you have these words in the, in the Greek, and uh, the, the words are, uh, I gotta make sure my phone comes back on here because I got notes. The words are oikonomia and oikos. Oikonomia, you would read in Romans, the 16th chapter, when you read about Paul's writing to those saints in Aristobulus's household. Well, there's no evidence that Aristobulus was a believer. The saints in Aristobulus's household were probably slaves or people who lived in the community that served the household. There, there, were, there was this extended group of people that had an, they're an identity group. And then the New Testament uses this other word, oikos. And it, and it really would translate family, but what it really means is the family plus the tight friends of the family. Every one of you is in an oikos called All People's Church. And further, most of you are in an oikos that's a life group in All People's Church. So you got one foot planted well where it ought to be planted, but you got the other foot over here in some other oikos and certainly in an oikonomia, uh, which would be like the, the, the marketplace, the company you work in, whatever. And I think we're all called to be Jesus's emissaries making disciples in those other places. And I think our coming together as a church is to better equip us to be that. And so I've always liked to think of the church that I pastored as a church of churches. In fact, I used to get up on, on, on Sunday morning. I, I, when I was in Hawaii, it was in California when we first started out, uh, the other pastors during the Jesus movement, you got to watch that movie. It's called Jesus Revolution, right? You got to watch it. I, I don't know what's in it yet, but I just know it was a really good time to be alive. But here's what I know is the churches that sometimes didn't engage it, the movement, didn't participate, but they blessed it, God blessed those churches. And the churches that threw rocks at us, well, God didn't bless those churches. They were, most of them are gone. And so when we first started out, people were calling us Dope Chapel. <laughs> With some reasonable thought that that might be part of our church culture. We actually... There were people who went from selling drugs to go to the beach and bring home a bunch of sand, make a little box, scoop out the sand, pour wax in there with a couple of wicks, and then go sell it the swap meet. There were sand candles. That was the industry of the church when we got started. And, 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 and we, I'm, I am old enough, and you, you, you're going to think I'm lying to you. I swear to you, I, I, this is the truth. When I grew up in church, I was a youth pastor, I had to wear a suit and tie and sit in an office, and if I wanted to do anything with the kids, I had to do it on my own time in my jeans. When I, when I was a, I was given this business card that said, Ralph Moore, Youth Minister, and, uh, and, and uh, Reverend Ralph Moore, Youth Minister. And I forgot my Bible in church, it was Sunday night service, and so I run and get my Bible, and I come out and there's a hedge about this tall, and I'm flying over the hedge with my coattails, you know, and one of the youth kids goes, Reverend Ralph. Well, I got rid of the card real quickly. But the, when, we, when we had church, I told you, we started with 12 people. Next week we had 18 people, but that was at 10 o'clock. And in those days, church was always at 11. And just church culture. 
But we started early because we're in the beach and we figured people want to go to the beach after church, so we start early. So, uh, we, I'm, and I preach short then, believe it or not. And by, by 10.55, we're done. And we're all outside. We don't even know each other, really. We're kind of getting to become friends. And 19 people showed up at 11. And so I did the most logical thing in the world. I just told them, well, church is over. We hope you come back next week. <laughs> and one of those guys comes to me, and, and he was a man. He was an old guy. He probably was 40. I was 25. And he, and he comes to me and he says, you know, um, you ought to at least put a cup of coffee in the hands of these people so they'll stay around and talk and they'll get to know you, but they'll get to know each other. And see, this is, a, this is a factor in a lot of churches that's missing. People are moving to Tennessee, Idaho, Texas, Montana, because we didn't do a good enough job of getting them to fall in love with each other in the church. It's one thing to love our pastors one thing to love our worship, but it's another thing to go, oh, honey, should we really think about moving? I mean, these people are, they're like uncle and auntie to our kids and we can't go. And so we started putting coffee out. The other churches called us a bake sale church because nobody, at that time, nobody put out coffee. There's millions of potluck suppers, but nobody did coffee at the end of a church service. That's how old I am. And, and so, you, you know, we, we, we took all this heat for all this stuff, but we, we begin to realize that we have this limited circle geographically. And then we begin to realize in that circle geographically, there are people who will never want to come to our church, but we can take our church to them. And, and, and they don't want Jesus, but we can get Jesus into them. Yeah. Well, how do you do that? Well, I think this, and, and, and I'm winding down with this. And by the way, I have five good things you need to write down in just a minute, because I'm going to give you five prayers to pray. And, I, and I'm real serious about this, because I think this is where the gold is. I think the idea of converting somebody, or what we've called evangelizing, is an idea that worked, but doesn't work so well anymore. And what do I mean by that? Well, one, if it's invite them to church so the pastor can get them saved, that is kind of lame and always was. If it's, I'm gonna hit them up with the Romans road or the four laws or whatever, and I'm gonna go preach them a little thing and convince them to be Jesus or to, to, to come to Jesus. Or if I'm gonna go and argue them into the kingdom by, by really getting my apologetics down tight, you know, I, I've, I've, I, I once was, I was taking some kids out to share the Lord and we used to go to LA airport before the terrorists and all that so we could go in the airport. And so I, I got these two young kids, I'm trying to teach them how to share their faith and we got the four laws. And so I run into this kid and, and he's a philosophy major at the University of California in the People's Republic of Berkeley. And it's like, oh no. Well, so we start talking a little bit and, we, and I said the word resurrection. And he goes, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you can destroy the resurrection, you can destroy Christianity. And it's like, hey, I'd been reading Josh McDowell, game on. <laughs> and you know what? I, I won the argument, but I didn't win the soul. I left him with his head in shame and I was some kind of a hero with those young kids. 
but nobody got added to the kingdom. So what are we to do? We live in a, in a, in a culture that uh, too many of us have, have become too political and, it, and it's politicized the gospel. And there's a place for that. I'm not knocking that, but there's some of us have gone just too far. And so the, the culture doesn't like us. Or how do you go, well, I, I live in, you know, I got one foot in all peoples, but where I go to work, they're, they're all LGBT, you know, alphabet people. How, how, do you, how do you do that? When my wife and I moved here, we knew our son-in-law, our daughter, and our realtor. Our realtor's a gay man. And God put him in our path. And so we started... Can you show us San Diego? Take us, we'll go to a different restaurant and meet for once a month. We'll go to, to, with you. He's dying right now of cancer. We're some of the only friends that have stuck with him. You know, how do we, how do we get past all this? Well, I think you do it by loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And I think that we disciple people into Christ. Well, how do you do that? Will you hang out? You love, you earn the right to, to when they're complaining about something to go, um, this is what I used to always teach our people. If you don't have a lot of courage, then here's what you say. Here's the script. You know, I, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I pray. Could I have permission tonight when I pray to pray for you? And if you're brave, then you go, well, that's, you know, I, I believe in God and, and could I pray with you right now? And, you know, I've seen people do both with huge, huge results. Because, you know, John Wimber used to call it a power encounter. One of the things that I love about all peoples is there's such, a, such an emphasis on the miraculous. But here's a mistake we can easily make. We can find the miraculous to the inside of the church family. And when we talk about ministering to other people, we talk about only ministering to people we know in God's family. God's calling us to minister out there. So much of the New Testament is somebody got healed out there and then they decide to follow Jesus. You know, this whole idea of oikos, I think of the demoniac of Gadara and he comes and Jesus casts these demons out of him and immediately he wants to be part of the team. Can I come with you? And Jesus goes, no, you go home. They need you there. I always wonder, you know, I, 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 a lot of people that I know don't believe in women being pastors or women ever standing behind a pulpit. And, and uh, you, you, what, what do you think went on in Samaria after Jesus met the woman at the well and she brought all her buddies out to meet him? I think there was a church there as Jesus walked on down the road. It doesn't say how long he stayed in the village either. He might have stayed there for three weeks. Who knows? All, all, all I know is that, there, that, that we all have these pockets of people that are in our oikonomia, which would be like our, the, the workplace, the, the school you work in, the factory, wherever you are, construction company. And then there's also that, 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 that household, those people that you hang with. And so here's, here's, the, here's the, the, the prayers. And I first wrote these as questions a number of months ago. And, and then it hit me, no, these are, these are prayers. God, show me 
who are my kind of people? So very quickly, I can say, oh, my kind of people are, 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 are white people who are old, who spent their life as wannabe surfers. <laughs> you know, I surfed, but I was never a surfer. I was never very good. <laughs> but I can talk the lingo. So that's easy for me. And, and, and then, but who did God put in my path? Who isn't white? I live in a neighborhood, almost everybody is, is an immigrant from Iraq. There, there are some African-Americans in our neighborhood. There's some Africans in our neighborhood. My best friend in the neighborhood is Vietnamese. So who, who did God put in my path? Because that's my mission field. That's your mission field. So God, who am I? Who are my, who, what kind of people am, am I one of? I know that I go to this incredible church that's got, what, 27 different nationalities in it? Something like that? 55. Wow. So we're really all chop suey. That's what we say in Hawaii. Um, but, but then this is, this is our oikos. Then who do you, who's your cousins? Who, who, who doesn't speak English well enough to feel comfortable even to come and fellowship with us because they'd be embarrassed? Those, those are your people. That's your mission field. And so the next question is, where do I see pain in others? Because that's the open door to pray with people. I can remember my friend uh, in my neighborhood who is a, he's a house flipper. He's actually a, an engineer who, started flipping houses on the side and then got good at it and he quit his job and he's a house flipper. And uh, he, had, he had bought in the coastal zone a house to flip. And you know how that business is, is you buy a real old house built in the 1920s, you tear down all the walls but one and then you don't have to bring it all up to modern code. You can build it easier. But if you're in the coastal zone, there's things they make you do. And so... There's a perfectly good sidewalk in front of the house. They came out and said, tear it out because that's part of the deal. You have to build a brand new sidewalk. So fine, he was willing to do that. He could not get a building inspector out there for seven weeks. And he's about to lose his shirt because he's got construction finance. He's just, all this is going on and, and nobody will show up just to look at the thing because he can't do the rest of the work until the guy comes out and looks at it and says, oh, that's a sidewalk. <laughs> and then he'll be free to go. And so he's, he's going on, and, and, and it was one of those times, because I'm a coward too, you know. It was one of those times that I, I go, well, Tony, would it be okay if we just prayed about that? So right there, we just stood in the, in the driveway and prayed, and the next day, the building inspector came. See, when we stick it out there, God puts it out there. And then, where is God already working? Who do you know that, that loves to brag about being an atheist. They read a book by Richard Dawkins and now they know why evolution trumps God. And they brag about it. Because I'm telling you, that person is spiritually hungry. And, if, and, and, and so how do you penetrate that? You go get in an argument with them? You'll read up on a lot of science, well, you ought to do that anyway. But what you do is you go hang out with them and you drink coffee. And you become a friend. And you earn the right again to get into, could I pray with you about what's going on in your life? And then 
the last question is uh, just who, who is reachable? Because all around us, folks, there are low-hanging fruit. But I, I, I got news for you. It's probably not going to work to get them to church first. It's going to work best. And I, I think this is true. I've been, I don't even know how long I've been in this church, since last spring, I guess. And, and, I'm, and, I, and I'm a watcher. I, I, you know, I, I watch what goes on. And I, this was true of the churches that I pastored, and I'm quite sure it's already true of yours. It's totally true of yours, of ours. Is that if they come and pray on Sunday morning to accept Christ in their heart, and I'm comfortable using that terminology, they already did get saved. Somebody else has been working in their life. God's been working in their life. They go through this time when it's like, do I actually believe this stuff or not? Because I was schooled not to believe it. I live in a secular world. I'm a secular person. But the Jesus thing seems to, and they're, they're, they're going through that. At that point, if they've died, they're going to heaven already. They don't need to pray with us in church. But then again, they do need to pray with us in church because it fastens it down. And so the prayers, God, who, 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 who am I? Who are my kind of people? You know, where is their pain? Where is there, is there openness? Where is, is there spiritual hunger that is showing itself? These questions, God will answer, and, and I think by, by revelation. And, and it, it's going to expand our footprint because here's what I think. And I'll quit rattling on up here. I'm, I'm actually two minutes over time, Robert. Am I okay with that? Good, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, <laughs> San Diego County is a spiritual desert. San Diego County is a spiritual desert. There's way more going on in Orange County than is going on here. And I, I, I've been around, there's a, there's a, a group that, that they don't even know that you guys exist called San Diego Church Planters Network. Really good guys. A lot of young guys are planting churches. Uh, God is calling people. Chris talked about this yesterday. I know some. I know a guy in Florida who God called him. He, he, they were remodeling their house. God called him and his wife to move to California to start a church. School teachers, both of them. She got a job. So they moved to Oceanside. And uh, she moved to Oceanside. He stayed, finished the remodel, sold the house. She never saw the remodel finished, her dream house. Uh, she, she got a job, comes out here. I have a friend named Ryan Delameter. They're starting uh, churches and coffee shops. And uh, they're now in two years, they're in 32 churches in five nations. And uh, they got stuff in Argentina, in Pakistan, in El Salvador. Uh, but, you know, the, the kind of towns that they started in San Clemente. If you got 500 grand, you can't start a church in San Clemente. It's not enough money. But they've started in Malibu. They've started on Catalina Island. This guy, Dustin, comes out from Florida. Just, just God called me to California. I, that's all I know. Uh, what I do next, Lord? And somebody introduced him to Ryan in San Clemente. And so Ryan goes, well, why don't you, there's coffee shops in Oceanside. There's 38,000 coffee shops that are not like Starbucks. They're independently owned. They all close about 5.30 p.m. 
And so you can get them on weeknights from like 7 to 9, 7 to 10, whatever, and there's certain churches there, and often with no rent. He goes, why don't you do that? Well, Dustin decides that's not a very good idea, so they, they, they just go and start making s'mores on the beach, and it's kind of like the Jesus Revolution days. People come up, what are you doing there? <laughs> well, we got food. Why don't you come join us? And one thing leads to another. People are coming into the kingdom. Well, those guys... I was with them in September, and on the weekend that I was with them, they, they planted three more churches. One of them in San Clemente, a half mile away from where Ryan is, and two of them within a mile of where they are on the beach and ocean side. You know, God's trying to do stuff. And you know who's holding up the show? You and me. We have good leadership in this church. We have good leadership in the churches in San Diego. This whole disciple-making movement is making inroads into the way that people are thinking. Good things are happening. But ultimately, it really comes down to disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And if we can do that, we can get past all the politics. We can get past all the atheism. We, we, just by doing what Jesus said, go loving young people. And, and, and bringing them into these power encounters with the Holy Spirit. And I'm done, so...